research that changes lives. Four simple words inspiring researchers at the University of Leeds to reshape the world. I am Professor Simone Boutenleg. Since arriving at the university in 2020 as Vice-Chancellor, I've been amazed by the passion, creativity and ingenuity of the research community to make a difference. Having the opportunity to exercise choice is really you know, key to palliative care and that individualised care that supports the person in the last few months of life. We need to learn from the mistakes that we've made and we need to learn from the instances where prevention of atrocities work. I think the COVID-19 pandemic actually forced us to become a little bit more digitally literate, although I do think we still have some room to kind of continue growing. One of my priorities has been to learn more about the sheer range of research carried out by early career researchers at Leeds. They are the new generation of world changers, people working tirelessly with communities and academics around the world on finding solutions to seemingly intractable problems. Over the course of this podcast series, I will be in conversation with those researchers. Join me as our world changers describe new discoveries and approaches that will make the world a better and more equitable place to live. It's about research that changes lives. Welcome to this latest edition of the World Changers podcast. Our topic is antimicrobial resistance, which in just three decades could cause up to 10 million deaths a year, unless the world acts to stop it. Antimicrobial resistance happens naturally as microorganisms evolve and become resistant to drugs that we use to try and kill them. But widespread inappropriate use of antimicrobial compounds has accelerated the speed at which microorganisms develop resistance. Joining me to discuss the issue is Dr. Jess Mitchell, a postdoctoral research fellow at Leeds, who's trying to find solutions to a large global problem. Jess, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great. Most of us have heard at some point somewhere of antibiotic resistance, but can you talk a little bit more about what, what antimicrobial resistance or AMR actually means and why it's such a big problem? Yeah, definitely. When we talk about antibiotic resistance, that's maybe a bit more familiar because a lot of people will be familiar with taking antibiotic medicines if they're sick or if their pets or livestock are unwell. And antibiotic resistance is simply where the bacteria that we're treating with those drugs no longer respond to the drugs. So the bacteria have become resistant to the medicines and the medicines don't work anymore. But there's lots of other different microbes that cause illnesses. So it's not just bacteria, there's viruses, parasites, fungi, and there's lots of other different medicines that we can use to treat those infections. So antimicrobial resistance simply refers to the changes that happen to all sorts of different microbes that mean they're able to fight off the medicines that we would use to treat them with. It's a very big problem, not just for people, although a lot of the conversations around AMR are around people and human health, but for animal health as well, because if we suddenly have infections or microbes that can resist certain types of drugs, they're likely to spread between different types of animals, between animals and people, 
They could even move through our water sources and through our natural environments to infect other populations. So AMR is really a global problem and what we call a one health problem because it infects and affects people, animals and our wider environment. Thank you. That, that's really clear. And I hadn't realized the difference between antibiotic and antimicrobial resistance. So thank you for, for explaining that. And before we go further into the detail, um, can you tell me how you got involved in, in studying this particular area? Yeah, I guess it's a bit of an unusual story. So my background is actually as a zoologist and I spent a lot of years studying social animals. So animals that live in big groups, things like meerkats and mongooses. And while I was working on that field site, it was in a national park. It was quite remote. I became very engaged with the local community around the field site and worked on a lot of projects to mediate human wildlife conflict. So particularly managing human elephant conflict. I worked in schools. I engaged with other health promotion interventions in the area. So I became quite engaged, not just with the animals, but the people around the site. And it sort of got me thinking about what I wanted to do with my career and how I really wanted to be tackling problems that had meaning at both human, animal and environmental level. And so it was several years after that project that I actually got into antimicrobial resistance. That's really fascinating. And also the relationship between humans and animals and how this particular problem clearly plays itself out in all populations. So what is the scale of the problem of antimicrobial resistance globally? I guess this is quite a scary answer, but I know we're going to talk about a bit more of the, the positive sides of the work that we're doing at Leeds and how we can have more positive impacts on the problem. But at the moment, AMR is, is a huge global concern. A report published actually from a UK scientist who estimated that antimicrobial resistance could cause as many as 10 million global human deaths per year if we don't do anything about it in the next couple of decades. And that report really catalyzed a lot of action on AMR and a lot of people saying, okay, look, this is a huge problem. What can we do about it? More recently, a paper has come out that's actually looked at real-time data rather than just making predictions. And it's shown us that in 2019, about 1.3 million human deaths could be directly linked to antibiotic resistance. These two publications only look at the human death toll. What they're not doing is telling us how big a problem resistant infections and AMR is in the animal sector. So for example, if we have poultry or pigs or cows contracting resistant infections, we could see huge damage to our food supply and food chains globally. And whilst in certain countries we have lots of choice over what we eat, in other countries there is much more limited choice. So if a certain type of poultry goes down with a resistant infection and we can't treat that and it spreads, people could become severely compromised in terms of the nutrition that's available to them. And we also can very clearly say that the use of antimicrobial medicines, or rather the misuse of those medicines, is what's driving the problem at this global level. So Jess, could you explain to me what types of human behavior actually exacerbate the problem of antimicrobial resistance? 
Yeah, so I think that's a really important question because, as we've discussed, antimicrobial resistance is, is a natural process. Microbes change naturally and by chance that will mean that some of them evolve a way to fight off medicines. And, you know, that's always happened. Even Alexander Fleming, who first invented penicillin, one of our first antimicrobial medicines, he warned us that resistance would happen, it would develop. And we've seen that happen over the last sort of 80 years since we've been using antimicrobials very frequently. But what we've also seen is that certain things we do speed up that process. So if we use an antimicrobial on the wrong type of bug, the wrong type of infection, it won't kill that microbe, it won't kill the infection. But what it might do is challenge that infection to find a way to get stronger so that that infection then becomes resistant to other medicines. What we also see happens if people take antimicrobials, say they have an infection and they're feeling really poorly and they take the first couple of days of antimicrobial medicines and then they feel better, they think, oh, well, I'm better now, so I'll stop taking those medicines. But actually, they won't have killed the entire infection that's, that's making them feel poorly. So they might feel better, but there'll still be some microbes left in their system. And because those microbes have been exposed to the medicine, the antimicrobial treatment, they will start to find ways to survive it. And that could allow antimicrobial resistance to develop. So there's lots of things that we do that allow resistance to develop and happen a lot faster than it would by chance. And remember, because this is happening at the level of the microbe, it's the same whether you're a human taking the medicines yourself or whether you're giving the medicine to a sick animal, sick livestock animal or a sick domestic animal. The same process is happening. If the medicine isn't used properly, if it isn't used for the right amount of time or in the right dosage, the microbe is going to find a way to survive it and build up resistance to that medicine so that next time you get an infection, the medicine may not work as effectively. And that's when we say that AMR has developed. So behavior really drives a lot of the problems that we're seeing with AMR at the moment. Yeah, and is that the behavior element? Is that why your research focuses so much on community and community engagement? Yeah, absolutely. My training as a zoologist, I always focused on animal behavior, you know, what decisions animals are making and why they're making them. And I think that's just really spread into humans while I've been studying and working on AMR to understand what behaviors are driving AMR, but more importantly, why they're happening. So we know that, for example, in agricultural health, often antimicrobial medicines can be bought in bulk or bought in really big packs. So in that situation, somebody giving medicines to their sick animals isn't getting a small prescription, isn't getting a lot of guidance about how to dispense those medicines. So it seems very logical that they would only want to use the medicine while an animal is showing symptoms of an illness and then want to save the rest to use again later. And they may also then sell or share that medicine with other people in their community, because again, it seems very sensible that if your neighbor has a sick animal and you have medicine, of course, you would want to help them. 
And it's things like that, those behaviors that go under the radar that we don't see, you know, notice, they don't get recorded. Those are the behaviors we really need to understand. And we can only understand that by talking to people at community level and having them share their stories, share their knowledge with us. And that's what community engagement is really about for myself and the team I work with. We're looking at exchanging knowledge. So I might be going to a community and telling them about AMR, but I don't have any expectation of what I'm going to change. And what I'm looking for is for them to tell me about their experience of AMR. And then together we can come to a midpoint where we might think, okay, so where we both recognize this problem's happening, but actually in this situation, this XYZ might be the best solution, not the solution that I had in my head when I sat in my office at Leeds. That's really great. And is that also the hallmark of your project in Nepal, this approach? Yeah, definitely. The project in Nepal has been going for a little while and it was actually started by a team that I still work with at Leeds. They worked in Nepal to make short films about antimicrobial resistance. So it was a similar approach. People in the community were talked to about AMR. They were given some basic facts, but then they were also trained on how to use a camera and editing software. And they went out and made films about their experience of AMR. So they were telling us exactly what was happening in their situation. There's a lot of impacts from that small project, but one of the really big impacts that I've developed a lot of my research on was the feedback that you should be doing this with younger people. It shouldn't just be us as adults that are making these films and having these conversations. So a lot of my work has been centered around developing that project, but with young people, so school age students and We've worked in a couple of schools in the same area of Nepal, so the Kathmandu region, and we've worked to co-develop a whole suite of educational resources around antimicrobial resistance. But again, using that same approach that we would run a short session where we talk about AMR and the community, so the teachers, the pupils, the, some of the school support staff would then have time to think about that and come back to us and say, well, you know, this is how we see AMR in our lives. This is where we get our medicines from. This is how we treat sick animals. These are the kind of hygiene practices we'd use in certain seasons, depending on the weather and so on. And so we built all that information into the teaching pack and the education pack, because now that's completely appropriate for use in those schools. It's not an instruction manual. It's not a basic biology lesson. It's a contextually appropriate resource that's co-created by the community. So it's meaningful in that setting. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. I can see what you mean. It does fill me with optimism immediately. Can I ask a little bit more about what you were just saying? It's also the healthcare providers, the, I'm assuming veterinarians and human doctors who are prescribing drugs. How does that work? Because I could imagine that sometimes the people in the communities actually are being led by what the vet of their animals tells them to do or what their doctor tells them to give their child. So it's probably beyond just individual patients thinking about how to to properly take the drugs. How does that work? Is that part of your research as well? Working with a wider network of academics at the University of Leeds, 
we are looking at the context in which behaviors develop. And we're very keen in those dialogues to explore what normal in inverted commas looks like for you and where you're sourcing the, your medicines from and who, who's giving you the advice, because that might help us to identify other communities that we need to engage with. And in the wider AMR research landscape, there is a lot of work underway engaging with healthcare professionals. So not just medical practitioners, but also vets, also dentists who are another group of prescribers. And these studies tend to look at the reasons why healthcare professionals might prescribe an antimicrobial and what they do before that. Do they look at symptoms? Do they look at symptoms and do a test to try and find out what's causing the infection? And those kind of questions are really important because it can show us where people might be prescribing antimicrobials very carefully or where they might be thinking, okay, I just need to make this person better. For example, often with very young children or elderly or very weak individuals, healthcare professionals may move to prescribe quickly rather than conducting a diagnostic test that takes a few days to come back and by which time the patient may have got sicker. And the same happens in the veterinary and agricultural care sector as well. There can be different decisions around different prescribing practices. And I think, again, taking the ethos of community engagement, it's important not to be critical of those practices until we really understand why they're happening and also whether it's possible to question those practices and implement another measure. In a lot of the countries that I work in, diagnostic tests are not routinely available. So it could be very dangerous to suggest to a vet or a dentist or a, a nurse that they try and find a diagnostic test for a patient that's clearly suffering very severe respiratory problems. So it is about context as well. Thank you for listening to this World Changes podcast from the University of Leeds. I'm Professor Simone Buitenegg, and I am in conversation with Dr. Jess Mitchell to hear about her research into antimicrobial resistance. And what do you think we could learn in the UK from your project in Nepal? I think one of the most interesting things is how we can draw parallels with AMR from climate crisis education and engagement with the climate crisis. So, you know, 20 years ago, the language around the climate crisis was about as new and scary as the language about AMR. And it was reserved for certain groups of people who had a certain background and who could understand that language. And I think that's where we're at with AMR, even in Western countries, even in the UK. It's not something that's talked about generally. It's seen as quite complicated. I like the idea of using community level research and trying to unpick the language of the challenge and make it a lot more accessible because really AMR is quite similar to the climate crisis. There's lots of very small behavioral actions that any individual can take. And then depending on your profession, there may be more you could do or there could be more you could put pressure on to do. But getting buy-in and getting engagement right at community level is a fantastic way to put pressure on health sectors, veterinary sectors, policymakers, politicians, 
and actually drive change at the top level of the system. And so I think that for me is one of the most exciting things that I see coming from my research is that parallel with the climate crisis and using community level action to drive change. And that's absolutely not to say that other forms of action should not be happening. You know, they absolutely should be. And we need to be looking at how to develop new antimicrobial drugs. We need to look at strengthening prescribing practices. We do need to look at those kind of big problems, but that doesn't mean that community action can't be a really key part of the puzzle. So let me ask you then towards the end of this interview, you're one of the University of Leeds world changers. And as a world changer, do you think that over the next decade, you and colleagues at the University of Leeds, clearly with many others, will be able to make inroads into slowing antimicrobial resistance? How, how optimistic are you? I do feel optimistic and I know that that might seem misguided considering some of the figures we talked about earlier on, but I feel especially at Leeds and a number of other universities, antimicrobial resistance is really shooting up the agenda and definitely within the community I work in in Leeds, there are people working on so many different aspects of the problem that that gives me hope that we can join up our thinking and tackle the problem from multiple points of entry. I would say from my particular angle of research, the sharing of knowledge and exchanging knowledge with communities is a really important step in that process because there are still so many unknowns with AMR. And if we're just having these conversations in a university, we're probably not going to find the answers because we're all quite well educated. We all understand our areas in a lot of detail. We need to be asking other people. And a lot of the time it is people at community level who are going to be able to give us insight into those questions, especially with behavior, you know, explaining why an optimal behavior doesn't happen. We need communities to tell us that. And that helps us to understand why tools like having simple behavioral objectives, why are they not working? Well, it's because the context doesn't allow that behavior to work. So I, I feel very optimistic from the whole research landscape on AMR, but I do feel particularly optimistic that I feel AMR is really harnessing the value of community knowledge and focusing on talking to people across all different types of networks, all different countries, lots of different stakeholders are involved in the problem of AMR. And so that gives me hope that we really can work towards finding meaningful solutions and hopefully not seeing those terrifying predictions come true because I think yeah 10 million global deaths per year is is really really frightening and we're seeing from the data in the more recent paper that we're moving towards that figure and I think we have a chance now especially coming out of the COVID pandemic where we've seen just how much behavior and communication can help support a health challenge I, you know, I think we have a lot of evidence and a lot of enthusiasm to protect ourselves and our environment from other global threats. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Jess, for this interview and, of course, mostly for all the good work and the, the brilliant research you're doing. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much, Simone. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the University of Leeds. 
To find out more about the work of our early career researchers and to read essays written by World Changer researchers, please go to the World Changers page on the university website. Details can be found in the information that accompanies this podcast.